your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for our hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This concludes the reading of God's holy and precious word. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this church. 
We thank you for its faithful witness in this community for so many years now. We thank you for this occasion and for Marion and his life and ministry among these believers. We thank you for your word, which is always living and active, which always accomplishes what you desire and achieves the purpose for which you send it out. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, which is attending this word. We pray that by your word and by the power of you, Holy Spirit, that we would be more like Christ as we walk out of here than we were when we entered in. We pray that you would bless this sermon and that you would bless us so that we might hear it and apply it. Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you for your word. We pray it in his name. Amen. When I was in college, I worked out every morning at 7 a.m., and you get to know the people that are also working out every morning at 7 a.m. And we had a couple of usual suspects, and two of them were these guys that my friend and I nicknamed Biff and Buff, and they were very, very uh, muscly, and they liked to work out over by the mirrors. And, and so they would, they would yell at each other and get each other pumped up, and they were always looking at themselves while they worked on themselves. And then over on the other side of, of the gym was a guy that later I would know his name, John, but, but he worked out and he almost exclusively did this very strange workout that very few people do where you take a weight on your chest and you stand on this little platform and you bend over and you straighten back up. He was, it's a constant lower back workout. And I remember thinking, he must be rehabilitating from something. But then I later uh, talked to him and asked and he said, no, actually, I'm a fireman. And I can't afford to throw my back carrying someone out of a building in a life or death situation. And it occurred to me that you work out differently when, you're, when you are not the end of your workout. If, if you're looking to just see how to improve yourself, you'll work out in front of the mirrors. If you're looking to think about, if your workout is to bring life to someone else, then you might work out a different muscle group. Your workout might look differently. The reason I tell you that is because as we come to a list of commands like Paul has here in our uh, chapter, in this passage, he says, put on then. And he tells us a list of things to put on. He tells us to put on humility, meekness, patience. It's easy to look at that list as if it's a spiritual workout for me. I've got to you know, get 20 reps of, of humility in this week. I've got to make sure I'm more kind, I'm more humble, I'm more patient. But what if instead we looked at this list as a means to bring life to other people, to each other? How would doing the things on this list impact each other? Before we jump into that, I want us to look and recognize first that Paul is giving a lot of commands in this passage, isn't he? He's saying, he's saying that uh, we have to put on humility, meekness, patience. We have to bear with one another. We have to forgive one another. We have to love one another. But also, he tells us that we need to teach. We need to admonish one another in all wisdom. We need to sing songs to one another. It's a lot of commands. And and, uh, you know, I'm an associate pastor at North Macon Presbyterian Church, but at home my latest title has been uh, the police officer. That's what my kids call me. I have four children. The oldest is seven. 
and her name is Madeline, and she, she operates as the spokesperson on behalf of the Children's Union in the Garrett House. And so she goes to me and she says, Dad, you gave me, you're giving us way too many commands to clean up lately. You've been telling us to clean way too much lately. I said, Honey, I never tell you to clean the room unless the room is dirty. The command exists for a reason. And the same is true when you're reading your Bible. The command exists for a reason. So Paul is telling us to do these things, and we can't understand why Paul is spending this time telling us to put on these things and to sing and teach and admonish one another unless we look at the commands in the previous chapter, in chapter 2. And we can't go into the details of all the things that were going on at this church in Colossae, but what we can know is this. The commands exist for a reason. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. So, see to it that no one takes you captive. These Colossians have been taken captive by some thinking or are at least at risk of being taken captive by something. And look down in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. So first, they take you captive. You believe their way of thinking, a human tradition that's different than the truth of the gospel. And once you buy into their way of thinking and you're taken captive, then they can judge you. And then, the last command in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. So you see, here are the Colossians feeling judged and disqualified by some tradition that's not the truth of the gospel. And yet, what was actually true about them? We see it in our text. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. But he tells them who they are. The truth about these believers and the truth about you this morning, if you are a believer in Christ, is that you are chosen by God. You are holy, set apart unto Him, and you are beloved. And yet, here are these believers who are chosen holy and beloved, dearly loved by God, feeling judged and disqualified because they bought into some other standard besides that of Christ and the Gospel. And so much of Marion's job, so much of ministry, is just convincing chosen, holy, dearly loved people that they aren't judged and disqualified. But it's not just Marion's job. This letter isn't written to the pastor at Colossae. It's written to the saints at Colossae. And it is all of our jobs to remind each other of the truth about us, that we are chosen, that we are holy, that we are dearly loved. How do we do that? We do that with our actions, and we do that with our words. What do I mean? First, we look at our actions. This is a list of actions. And again, it's not a workout so that you can feel spiritual for the week. You can feel humble. You can feel kind. You can say, I was really good this week. No, it's it's a way we convince each other of what is already true about each other. That we are holy. That we are chosen. That we are dearly loved. How does it work? Well, when we act in the way that this list shows, we convince each other. We, 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 We say, essentially, what is true about you already, I agree with and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove to you how much you are worth. I'll give you a few examples. Compassion. Look at the first one. 
put on compassionate hearts. Compassion is just feeling it in your gut. That's what compassion means. Feeling what someone else is going through in your gut. When we feel compassion for someone, what you are saying to that person is this. I could have a life of ease and comfort if I didn't think about your troubles. But I'm, you're so valuable to me that I'm willing to spend my ease, spend my comfort on you. And I'm going to make your pain my pain. I'm going to make your burdens my burdens. You're worth that much to me. What about kindness? Kindness says you are worth my resources. I could spend my time or my money getting nice things for me. But you're so worth it to me that I will spend my time and resources doing nice things for you. What does humility teach each other? When we're humble toward one another, what are we teaching each other? What are we convincing each other of? We're saying, you are worth my position. You are worth my status. You see, I could try to get power and status and position for myself, but I'm not. I'm going to give that to you. You're worth that. Patience. Okay, let's talk about patience. Patience says this. You are worth my efficiency. You are saying to someone when you're patient to them, you are worth my time. You are worth my convenience. I will spend that resource on you. I could have a much more efficient life without you in it, but I would rather have you in my life and it be less efficient. So I'll be patient with you. I always think about myself growing up. I, in, college, I, in college, I would go to my group if we had a group project, and I would say, hey, if you guys will just let me do it all, I'll guarantee we'll get an A. I wanted no relationship. I just wanted efficiency. And it's faster to work by yourself. What I was telling them is this. You're not worth anything to me. And when we're patient with one another, we're telling them that they're worth something. What about Forgiveness text says that we are to bear with one another and we are also to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. So we must also forgive. Forgiveness says this to another person. When you forgive them, you are telling them, you are so valuable to me that I want you in my life even if it cost me pain. I will take on the pain of forgiving you so that I can have you as a brother or sister. And then the next, he goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. To spend love on someone. When we love one another, you know, 1 John 4 says that God is love. So, to to love someone is to say, I am going to give the very best of God's image in me to you. I'm going to spend my most precious resource on you. You see, God tells us that we are holy, that we are chosen, that we are beloved by Him, but we are always forgetting it. And so, essentially, when you do the things on this list, what you're saying to everyone around you when you do these things is this... Everything that God thinks of you as His chosen, holy, and beloved child, I think that too, and I'm going to prove it to you. 
by my actions. Can you imagine a community where people were constantly affirming the gospel truth about one another to one another? You know, we spend so much of our nickels and our minutes and our conversations trying to scrape up a sense of worth for ourselves, and it leaves us isolated. And it leaves us desperate to be known and loved. But what if we could instead love one another, be patient with one another, be kind with one another? When we act out the gospel truth, it's a balm to us, but it's a balm to others as well. But actions alone will not do. Our words are just as important. Not only are we to act out the truth, we must tell the truth to one another. Look at verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We must tell the truth about what God has done to one another. It's not just how we act. So we must have the message of the Gospel. We must have the truth about what God has done for us in Christ, deep down in our hearts and deeply embedded in our minds, so that we can do these things. We can teach one another, admonish one another, and sing to one another. See, we teach each other the truth about what God has done for us in Christ. That's the first one. We teach. We teach the Word to each other. Never get tired of the story of redemption that God is telling in your life. Learn to see it. Read the Bible so that you have perspective, so that you can see that God is working, even in difficult circumstances. But then turn and do that for each other as well. Never get tired of finding the redemptive things that are going on in each other's lives. You all have experienced when you feel like you're going through an impossibly hard time and you talk to someone and their perspective shines light on what you're doing in your situation. They say, brother, I know it seems like this is impossibly hard, but I see God at work. I see Him at work. Never get tired of doing that to and for each other. And then also admonish one another. You see, we need to tell the truth to one another, but we're always forgetting the truth. And when we forget, we sin. Or we fall into patterns of unbelief. Or we start living and acting as if God doesn't love us and He's not for us. And when that happens, we have to admonish one another. We have to correct the unbelief or the wrong belief that we are thinking. I need it. You need it. When someone's sleepwalking, you have to go to them and say, wake up. Finally, we sing the truth to one another. I always have to say this. I don't know you. This is the beauty of being a guest pastor. I don't know what your preferences are for singing, but it's not optional. We have to sing to one another. It's commanded in Scripture, but moreover, I need to see you worshiping. You have no idea what two verses of Holy, Holy, Holy just did for me. I haven't heard singing in months. You have no idea how your pastor feels sometimes sitting in that chair. And they need to know that you can be so overwhelmed by the grace of God that you burst forth into singing worship and praise to His name. And moreover, I have a seven-year-old daughter, Madeline, who one day is going to wonder, does Dad just do all this God stuff because he gets a paycheck? And she needs to see that you believe this so much that you'll sing about it. Worship, not just 
for the sake that God deserves it, but because we need to hear it. Some of us will come in inevitably so downtrodden that we can't sing. You have to sing for them and with them. So we sing together. We admonish one another. We tell the truth. We act the truth. We speak the truth. We admonish the truth to one another. And we sing it to one another. The truth about Christ. What is the truth about Christ? It's in chapter 1, verse 21. It says this, You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And now... God has reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Hmm. That's the truth, that we were alienated and now by Christ's body we have been brought near. And because of that, we are chosen We are holy and we are dearly, dearly loved by God. Let us act that truth to one another and speak it to one another. Let's pray. Lord, pray that we would be those who know the truth, who live the truth among each other so that we would believe what is true about us already in Christ. Thank You for Jesus Christ. Thank You that He has brought us near and that we are His children. We are holy. We are chosen. We are dearly loved. Help us to believe it. Help us to prove it to one another even as You, Father, have proven it by sending Your Son. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, we can call forward Marion and Marion, you're going to come forward. This time I will be asking questions of Marion, and then I'll be asking questions to you, the congregation. These questions are from our uh, Book of Church Order, the Presbyterian Church of America, and are rightly a part of any installation service. Marion, are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration in accepting its call? I am. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? I do. Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ agreeable to your ordination engagements. I do. And to you, the congregation, there are four questions. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Marion Clark, whom you've called to be your pastor? If so, would you raise your right hand? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love 
and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline with the like sign? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification, do you? And then finally, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatsoever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you? This time I'm going to pray and then make the pronouncement of installation. Let's pray together. Father, we would pray that this day going forward that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in a unique way for Marion to fulfill all of these obligations that he has taken upon himself in receiving this call to the Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, that you would bless he and Ginger in every area of their life so they would have no concerns other than the concerns for this church and that they would uh, flood his heart and mind at all times. We want to pray that you would give him gospel eyes to see that the harvest is white here at Lake Oconee to win the loss, that you would give him the mind of Christ and doctrine and in spirit that he might open it, the word of God, week by week, that you would give him the heart, the heart of a good shepherd, that he would shepherd the souls of the people of this congregation, that you would give him a godly spirit that would be controlled in by the Holy Spirit in every aspect of his life, that you would give him a voice to proclaim week by week your inestimable and glorious salvation of Jesus Christ from this pulpit, and that you would help him to consecrate his body totally as a living sacrifice towards all obedience for the goodness of his own soul and for the demonstration of his witness before this congregation and this community. Now we pray that in every way that you would show your blessing to him, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, your peace, your love, and that all of this would flow from him to this congregation and community through Christ's power, in whose name we pray. Amen. Marian. I now pronounce and declare that Marion Clark has been regularly elected and installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The last thing that I am to do is to give Mary a charge. It's not like an electric charge. It's something <laughs> spiritual. You won't see it. So. Can I sit down for that? You may if you wish. <laughs> Thank you.
charge comes from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where the writer of the Proverbs says, how does he begin? Somebody help the boy. How does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 begin? Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Model to this church a New Testament faith. Faith needs to be modeled. Paul said, imitate me as I am an imitator of Christ Jesus. They need a faith that can be imitated. That you demonstrate before them that you hold to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you hold to the love of God. And that you hold to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of your life. Model the faith of a New Testament leader. Jesus took those his disciples to Samaria that he could see the gospel harvest that they could see it. He says, look, he says, the fields are white to harvest. May you have an eye for the gospel harvest, the great commission. May that faith that you see this be modeled to this congregation, that they would be inviters of their neighbors and friends to come and to know the living God. Model the faith of Jesus, the good shepherd, good shepherd of all our souls. Be in their homes. Know their pains. Know their hurts, their miseries. Know their joys. Know their lives so that you can pray for them. And so that when that time of crisis comes into their lives, they will understand that you are the person that the Lord Jesus has sent to be in their lives at that particular point in time. Lastly, model the eschatology of the New Testament. So many people are consumed with the whole idea of just dying and going to heaven. But that's truly not the eschatology of the New Testament. The New Testament eschatology is the eschatology of the glorious resurrection of the body and the reuniting of soul and body together in a kind of life that is demonstrated in Jesus' resurrection, the uniqueness of everlasting and eternal life. Speak to them often about the resurrection of their body. Speak to them often about the consummation of all things. Speak to them about the glorious state that will become eternal when Christ, who is our life, is revealed at the end of the age, knowing that they, too, at that time, will be revealed with him in glory. I give these to you as a charge. You are now the shepherd of this flock. May God richly bless you in every way to meet the needs of this church going forward. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
I got a mic already. Now it's my job to charge you all, the congregation, and the beauty of knowing ahead of time that you're going to do the sermon and the charge to the congregation is that you can just make the sermon the charge to the congregation. Marion, it's a good pointer. Maybe you'll try this in the future. You should set up the worship service so that you get to tell them things and a few minutes later come back up and tell them the same things again. It's brilliant. So, uh, my word to you all is this. Spend your effort and your energy convincing each other that you are holy, that you are chosen, that you are dearly loved. It's what's already true about you. But live and act in a way that convinces each other of that. If you want to do the best good for Marion, love one another well. But I'll take it one step further. Do the same thing for your pastor. Spend your effort and your energy acting out the truth of the gospel towards Marion, towards Ginger, and act out the truth of the gospel and live and tell the truth. Sing hard. Pray hard. Here's an idea. Pray for him regularly and tell him what you're praying for him. Encourage him because he needs encouragement. Uh, Pastors can be so prone to discouragement. I told someone with this COVID-19 outbreak, uh, I don't get the good stuff of being a pastor, seeing you all worship in person. We just get the hard stuff. So when you're experiencing joy in the Lord, share that with your pastor. When the Lord blesses you in some way, share that with your pastor. Be mindful to encourage him at all times. Convince him, make it your purpose to convince him that he is holy, that he is chosen, that he is dearly loved. Now I'm going to ask you all to stand together and we're going to sing the doxology and then Marion is going to pronounce a benediction. benediction. I just want to thank this congregation. Um, Josh, everything you told them to do, they've been doing it even more and more and more. This is a congregation that lets their pastor know um, they cannot be more supportive than they are. And it's uh, just a privilege and honor and a great blessing uh, to serve as as pastor. Now, because I, I do know you and I know how friendly and loving you are, I know that when you go out, you're going to all mingle there in the uh, in the narthex, and you're just going to throw caution aside. I'm going to be standing in ginger outside, so I hope you'll just come outside, and then you can throw your your caution uh, to the wind there. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.